This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Right, okay, let's uh, look at just one verse uh, initially, Psalm 121 and verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Israel is never very far from the news headlines. One way or another, uh, they seem to be constantly brought to the fore in the international world's media. If it's not an intifada, if it's not a riot, if it's not something, it's the political side. If it's not that, it's something else. But for one reason or another, they always seem to hit the headlines periodically. And today is no different. Why is that? Why is there so much hatred and vitriol and bitterness against Israel? I mean, after all, it's just a, a tiny little piece of land in the Middle East. It's only eight and a half thousand square miles. Ireland is four times the square mileage than Israel. Its population in 1948, when it was, became recognized as a nation again, was just 800,000. And today it's eight and a half million. And in that period of time, Almost three and a half million Jews has come back from all over the world, from over 130 different nations, uh, back to that homeland. The population is a very young population. The average median age is just about 28, 29 years old. So it's a very young and vibrant population, which may account for being one of the top startup nations in the whole world because there's so many young and bright and clever young people who want to be entrepreneurs, who want to develop, who want to invent, who want to do everything. And so it's become a, a really a magnet for young people like that. The population is largely 75% Jewish, 21% Arab, and the other 4% is a mixture of, of well, it's a mixture of non-Arab Muslims and non-Arab Christians. And along with these different ones from different ethnic or no ethnic background or religious or no religious backgrounds. And the Jews are divided into religious and secular Jews. And uh, even the religious Jews are subdivided into conservatives and progressives and modernists and all the rest of it. And so there's quite a, a mixture going on within there. As well as that, there are smaller ethnic groups like, like, Drew, like Druze and, and Samaritans. Samaritans, there's, there's small groups of Samaritans. And interestingly enough, that in a country with only one one thousandth of the world population, because that's what it, it amounts to, that it's produced already 178 uh, Nobel Prize winners. That's roughly 22, 23% of all the Nobel Prize winners has been Jews. And it is the only nation on earth, it's the only nation in history 
that it's ever come back, metaphorically speaking, from the dead. Because as a nation, for almost 2,000 years, it was dead and buried, as it were. But it has come back again and has become a nation once again. And so, for almost 2,000 years, they didn't have the nation status. They didn't have an official language. Uh, you know, there's things that they just didn't have. They, they didn't have their own capital. But now, now that they've come back, now they're recognized even by the UN as a recognized bona fide nation once again. They also speak their ancient language, which has been revived. This is the only nation in the world that's had their ancient language revived again. And on top of that, of course, uh, Jerusalem is their ancient capital, which in 1967 they took back again uh, from the Arabs. And so they're in a unique place today. And all of this and more is all to do with the fulfillment of God's prophetic scriptures. All of this has happened because God said it would happen and it has actually taken place. Historically, the Jews, of course, have been the most persecuted minority group on the face of the earth. So why, as I said before many times, why should every world superpower from ancient history until this very day, why should they come to Israel, such a tiny, tiny little nation? Why after thousands of years does this little nation still attract the world's media? Why after all of this time and such a tiny nation, why should it attract such hostility? And the hostility is fierce. It's surrounded by nations that many of them wants to wipe them out. So terrible is this hostility that just 70 years ago, and that's not long as far as history is concerned, that's just a blink, isn't it? Just 70 years ago, Hitler, Nazi Germany, wanted to wipe out every Jew on the face of the earth, and he managed to kill six million of them. And had they been able to continue, for sure, they would have been after every last single one of them. Even their neighbors, even Iran, the leadership of Iran has publicly stated again and again that they want to wipe Israel of the face of the earth, that they should not exist. They have no right to exist. In fact, they don't even recognize their right as a nation to exist, never mind have a capital city. So why is there such currently such a rise in anti-Semitism? All over Europe, anti-Semitism is on the rise. Surely, this is more than just politics. Surely it's more than just economics. No, it is much, much deeper. And this is the reason that the world's media and the world's politicians just do not get. They do not understand this at all because the reason is threefold. It's biblical, it's spiritual, and it's prophetic. And they don't get that. They think they're dealing with politics and economics and geography, but what they're really dealing with that they don't understand is something that's deeply, deeply spiritual and prophetical and biblical. And so that's where we are tonight. We, as believers in Christ, uh, we have the edge on this because we read our Bibles and we can see for ourselves the causes of these things and the answer to them. 
Sadly, the Republic of Ireland, as I said this morning, is one of the most anti-Semitic countries in Europe today. Faciferous in their pursuit of BDS. BDS is boycott, disinvestment, and sanction of Israeli goods. Particularly those that are made in the West Bank, which they say is occupied, the occupied West Bank. And so they say we are friends of the Palestinians, and this will help the Palestinian cause if we have disinvestments, if we try to get the big companies to disinvest, and we can boycott goods that are made in the West Bank and sold by Israel. The trouble with that is, and it's been proven not so long ago, that one very successful American company who for years has worked in the West Bank, who workforce, most of it is Palestinians. And they had to leave. They left. And so those Palestinians are out of a job. So how is that helping the Palestinians? But of course, it's more than that. It's a deeper thing than that. And even in the Republic, they're now calling for the removal of the Israeli embassy. They're even wanting to boycott Hewlett Packard, the great uh, computer company, because they use Israeli parts. Uh, and so it, it runs very deep down south. And I suppose part of the reasoning, in case you wonder why, part of the thinking is, well, they see the Palestinians, they see the Israelis as the occupiers of the Palestinian land that's rightfully theirs. And of course, as Republicans, they see the Brits as the occupiers of Ireland that's rightfully theirs. And so you can see which side they're going to side with. And that's the thinking. Now, of course, they would argue that we're not anti-Semitic, we're anti-Israeli government. But I'm afraid the rhetoric <laughs> shows it up just not to be true. That's a, a handy thing to hide beneath. But when it comes right down to it, very anti-Semitic. <coughs> and so the Hamas, which is another name for the Islamic resistance movement, Hamas, they are the de facto government in the West Bank and Gaza. And their own charter that was made in 1988 that showed their hatred, their utter hatred for Israel. And by the way, the UN declared them to be a terrorist organization, among other nations. Uh, but just recently, I think it was in 19, 2017, I think it was, they brought out another charter where they kind of modified it a bit because they realized it was so bad looking in the eyes of the rest of the world. It was so blatantly full of hatred against the Jews that they kind of modified it a bit. But as President Netanyahu said, they're trying to fill the world and still hate the Jews as much as ever they did. And so to show you how bad Hamas is, that the Palestine Liberation Organized, the PLO, under Yasser Arafat, which was the worst terrorist organization in the whole world for years, that when they were running Gaza, that Hamas thought they weren't fundamental enough and they were compromising too much, and so they kicked them out. So that shows you where Hamas comes from. And so the world's governments, United Nations, are very, very, very quick to condemn Israel over the ongoing Palestinian demands. 
and they want Israel to continually concede and concede and relinquish and relinquish all controls, all border controls around Gaza. There's a reason for the border controls in Gaza, by the way. Now, Israel did concede, have always conceded, and have always given land for peace. And the Gaza Strip is a classic example. Israel left it to the Palestinians for peace, for a peace deal. What did the Palestinians do? They turned it into a terrorist haven where they bomb and murder from their base. That's what they've done with it. That's what it is today. And so you can understand that whenever they're told to give up land for peace, they say, well, we have done that several times, and what has it got us? It just gets us more attacks. So that's why they have to have borders. Egypt, by the way, has a border in Gaza. Egypt doesn't want the Palestinians coming into their country. None of the Arab countries wants the Palestinians to come in. All of them has got land. Saudi Arabia has enough land that would do every Palestinian in the world to come and live in. But they don't want them. They want them where they are. Because that keeps the thing going against Israel. So why all this hatred and tolerance against Israel? What is it about Israel that's so disproportionate when it comes to world politics? can't be just politics. can't be just security issues. It can't be just economy. It's biblical, it's spiritual, it's prophetic issues. That's the root of it, and that's what we're going to consider right now. Seventy years ago, two days after my birthday, Israel became a nation again in one day. The 14th of May, 1948. One of the most prophetic fulfillments of Scripture in 2,000 years since Christ's birth was fulfilled in that day. In Isaiah 66, if I can just read this for you. Verse 7 and 8. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Hmm. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. Shall a nation be born at once? Yes. Isaiah is writing 700 years before Christ. 2,700 years ago. And that word came true in one day when Israel became a sovereign state again. 19 years later, 1967, Israel again, uh, against all odds, just as in 1948, hours after she was declared a nation again one day, her Arab surrounding neighbors declared war against her. 
It was called the War of Independence. And Israel was very young at that time. It was just born. They had very, very little of arms. And our Arab neighbors were armed to the teeth with the best weapons of their generation. And they wanted to destroy them. In fact, just a little aside, by the way, regarding Palestinians, they warned, the Arab nations warned the Palestinians to get out, get out while you can, because we're coming. We're coming to destroy this nation, to get out. And they got out. It wasn't Israel put them out, they got out. And the idea was, we're going to come in, we're going to destroy the Israelis, and then you can come back again and you can claim everything. But that didn't happen. Because Israel, tiny little Israel, at its weakest point, defeated all of those Arab nations that came against it. Because the hand of God was upon it. Oh, excuse me. And in 1967, again, against all odds, when the surrounding nations decided to attack it again, to destroy it, in six days, Israel defeated them again. Destroyed their aircraft, destroyed their tanks, destroyed their armies in six days. It's the greatest major military victory in history and it's still studied today can't understand how they did it so well and in that war they took back their capital city Jerusalem and yet in spite of that they open it to the world's great three religions Christianity Judaism and Islam and you can go to Jerusalem today you can stand at the western wall and you can look and see the Alaska Mosque. And they allow that. And they said they'll protect sacred sites. So Israel became a nation again in one day. The first since King Zedekiah was taken captive to Babylon in 586 B.C. It took a long, long, long time for God's prophetic word to come true. But one day, 1,000 years is just with one day as the Lord. He doesn't live in time, he lives in eternity. And he's got all eternity to work these things out. So these historical prophetical events were to change the fortunes of the world and to radically change the political landscape of the Middle East to this day and will continue to do so until, again, the world's armies unite against Israel at that last great war of all wars that we talked about last Sunday night, the Battle of Armageddon, when Christ will come himself and destroy Israel's enemies. The third incredible fulfillment of prophecy regarding Israel is a returning Jew to his homeland. I said a moment ago, in just 70 years, roughly two, three and a half million Jews has returned from around the world. Friends, as we live and breathe tonight, we are witnessing with our very own eyes thousands of years of prophecy being fulfilled. You can count on this book being true. If for no other reason than you see prophecy being fulfilled continually. And so... 
these are biblical and prophetical promises of Israel that's coming true in our generation. Let me just quote to you some of these amazing prophecies and promises. The scattering of Israel among the nations, the 10 tribes called Israel, or sometimes Ephraim because it was the largest of the 10 tribes. Whenever Solomon died, the kingdom was divided into two. 10 tribes in the north called Israel, not point, or sometimes Ephraim, because it was the largest of them, and Judah and Benjamin in the south, called Judah because it was the largest of the two. Benjamin was very small. And Judah was where Jerusalem was, and the capital of the ten tribes, Israel, was Samaria, where Samaria was. And again, the Assyrian invasion of 713 BC is whenever Assyria came in, and they scattered the ten tribes and they've been scattered ever since. And then the southern tribe Judah, the Babylonians came in in 586 BC and took many, many captive. And they were captive for 70 years. And you had Daniel and Ezekiel and different ones. And Jeremiah stayed in the land and prophesied. However, it wasn't until the Jewish revolt against Rome that culminated in Titus in A.D. 70, that Jesus foretold what happened, that not one stone would be left upon another in the temple. And Titus came in and raised the city, and the temple became a smoking rack. And some of us have stood at the bottom of the walls where the Roman soldiers had cast the stones down. You can see the stones lying there to this day, just as Jesus had predicted 70 years prior to that. And great was the slaughter and hundreds of thousands were taken into captivity. If you visit the Colosseum in Rome, largely built by Jewish slaves that Titus took back. And you see the Arch of Titus in Rome, and you'll see the, the triumphant Titus, and you'll see his soldiers carrying the Jewish menorah from the temple and so forth. And they made a great arch out of it. But in spite of this, 40 years later, those remaining Jews once again rebelled against Rome. In AD 132 to 135, a, a pseudo-messiah called Bar Kokhba, or son of the star, that means, he led the rebellion. And even though they put up a valiant struggle, yet the might and power of Rome was too great, and they were soundly defeated. And Rome, not wanting any more of this, no more uprisings, they decided that all Jews would have to leave the land, every one of them, and never be allowed to return. And not only that, they decided to rename it Palestine. It wasn't the Palestinians called it Palestine. They didn't have this forever. It was the Romans who called it Palestine, and they took that name from the Philistines, Israel's ancient enemy. And they even changed the name of Jerusalem just to spite them. And so that's the way it was left. And so for almost 2,000 years, the Jews wandered among the nations. Just as was prophesied. Stateless, homeless, no capital, no temple. Hosea 9.17, 
Hosea says, my God shall cast them away because they did not obey him and they shall be wanderers among the nations. Hosea 8, verse 8 and 9. Israel is swallowed up. Now they're among the Gentiles. They have gone into Assyria. And Acts 7, verses 1 to 7. In fact, we should look at that. This is Stephen's testimony before he was stoned. Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he said, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to her father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to the land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But when Abraham had no child, he promised to give to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke it in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 400 years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, says God, and after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Children, Israel was in Egypt for 400 years until God brought them out with a mighty hand to go in and to possess the land. So all of these things were prophesied. Whether they'll be in captivity for 400 years, whether it be 70 years or whatever, whether they'll be scattered among the nations, at one point, he was going to bring them back. The land that God gave Israel to possess is huge. For those of you who may take notes, Genesis 15, 18, Deuteronomy 1 and 7, Deuteronomy 11, 24, Joshua 1 and 4, God gave the land, all of the land from the Euphrates River in the east to Lebanon in the north to Egypt in the south. If you want to know how big that is, by the way, that's about 14 times the size of Great Britain. And it just so happens that Western Australia is about 14 times the size of Great Britain, and it's about a third of Australia. So you can see that they have not possessed all the land that they were promised. They've just got a tiny, tiny little strip. But God has given them all. And one day, one day, when Christ comes again, they will possess all of the land that was promised to them. But right now, this tiny little strip of land, every day of their lives, they fight tooth and nail to keep it secure and to preserve it because they're surrounded by nations who want to drive them out of it every day. Can you imagine being under attack every day? Can you imagine having to have bomb shelters outside all of the schools because they have only 17 seconds of a warning of a Kassam rocket coming? And once that alarm goes, you get 17 seconds to get into a bunker, otherwise you may be blown to smithereens. That's what they live under. And then we wonder why they retaliate. <laughs> then we wonder why they try to protect their borders. Come on. 
What other country in the world would allow other nations to bomb them continually without fighting back? None. As soon as Israel does it, the world's up in arms. So why were they dispossessed? Why were they scattered among the nations? The land belongs to Israel, but their possession of it is contingent upon their faithfulness to God. And the truth is, they haven't been faithful. They haven't been faithful. Again and again and again, God warned them. Warned them over and over. If you're not faithful, bad things are going to happen. You'll go into captivity. He pleaded with them. He sent prophets to them to prophesy. He did everything. They stoned their prophets. They killed their prophets. They didn't want to hear it. And what happened? They went into captivity. And then they cried unto God. And because God loves them, he has mercy on them, and he brings them out again for another while. And then the cycle repeats over and over and over. You know, when you read the book of Judges, that's what it's about. They compromise. They go into idolatry. And then they're in trouble. And then they get taken over. And then they get subdued by other nations. And then they cry unto God. God loves them. He gives them a deliverer. And he delivers them. He judges them, delivers them. And then after that, another few years, they're back into the cycle again. But there came a point in captivity. After the Babylonian captivity, never again would they worship other gods. Never again would they worship other gods. Now there's lots of Jews who don't even believe in God. They're traditionally a Jew. They're by culture a Jew. They're by birth a Jew, but they don't even believe in God. So not all Jews are, are orthodox. There's a mixture. And so because of that, he had to send them into captivity. But because he loved them, he promised that they would return. Remember we read Hosea 9.17? And God shall cast them away because they did not obey him. But Hosea 8 and 10 says, Yes, though you have hired among the nations, now I will gather them. And so there was a time in history when God says, Now is the time when I'm going to gather my people from the nations of the world. And I'm going to bring them into the land. The land that once again they will possess. And we're living right in the middle of those days, as the Bible tells us. In Ezekiel chapter 37, which is the well-known chapter of the dry bones, verse 1, And the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live, and I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we are cut off, which they were. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out from up your come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves O my people and brought you up out of your graves and I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land then you shall know that I the Lord have spoken it and have performed it <sighs> and so from the graveyards of the nations God is calling them to come up and to come into the land again. And they're hearing that call. They don't understand it. Many of them. But there's a call. There's a tug in their heartstrings. And they come. Many, many are making aliyah. Aliyah means going up. And they're going up to Jerusalem. They're coming back again to land. In uh, Jeremiah 32... Verse 26, Then the word of the Lord came to, me, to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to this city and burn it, with the houses on whose roofs they have offered incense to Baal and poured out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have done only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. And from this city, for this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day they built it, even to this day. So I remove it from before my face because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, and they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned to, turned to me the back and not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them. Yet they have not listened to receive instruction, but they set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to defile it. And they built their high places of Baal, which are in the valley of son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the far to Moloch, which I did not command them, nor did not nor did come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Israel to sin. Now therefore thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which he say, it shall be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. 
Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger and in my fury and in great wrath, and I will bring them back to this place and will cause them to dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may hear, fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them uh, and, and I will turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear into their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Glory to God. Isaiah 65, almost through in this portion. Isaiah 65. Verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. Behold, behold, I create Jerusalem as rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. And so God has promised again and again and again to bring them back. There's a lovely little verse in Isaiah 60 verse 8 who are they who fly like a cloud and like doves to the wrist surely the coastlands shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish will come first to bring your sons from afar their silver and their gold with them to the name of the Lord your God to the Holy One of Israel because he glorified you the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. <laughs> the sons of foreigners shall build up your walls. Hmm. America has given billions to Israel to build up her walls and to build up her defenses. Who are these who fly like a cloud and like doves to the wrist. Isn't it lovely that right now that there's so many has been flying into Jerusalem. The aeroplanes is bringing them in from Ethiopia, from Russia, from Europe, from America, from all around the world, from 130 different nations. They're flying in like doves to the wrist. The pigeon has got a homing instinct. Birds often will fly halfway around the world to get to the nest that they roosted in the year before. God built it into them. We don't know how they do it, but they do it. And God has built into the Jew a homing instinct. And many of them are feeling that instinct to go back to the land as God has promised. So many scriptures, we have so little time, we'll not turn to it, but in Jeremiah 16, 14 and 15, it talks about the land of the north, Russia, giving them up. I told you last week, the last nation on earth to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland. They refused visas for years and for years until Prerostroika 
came with Gorbachev until the walls fell and the doors opened. And then, since then, over a million Russian immigrants has come into Israel. The North has given them up. So these, these I, I don't know what this does to you, but these scriptures excite me because I'm seeing scripture fulfilled. No longer have to think, is it going to be? It is being fulfilled right now as we live and breathe. Huh. Isaiah 11, 2, he will set up a banner for the nations. I will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Huh. From the four corners of the earth. And so because of Israel's disobedience, because of her unfaithfulness, even though God pleaded with her, she would not listen and eventually went into captivity. But then because of God's love and mercy, he draws them back again to the land that he has promised them because he will keep his promise. And in those nations where they went into, that was the rod he used to chastise them. But they were too severe. And those nations that were severe in his people, he's going to chastise them. And that's partly the reason for the battle of Armageddon, because those nations that were against his people, that were severe against his people, he's going to draw them to Armageddon, and there he will chastise them. That's where they will be defeated. That's where the great might of Russia and China and the great nations of the world that's coming against to destroy Israel will be defeated, and Christ himself will do it. We talked about that last week. If you want to know more about that, then get the CD. How do I know that? Because of what Joel said, the prophet, in Joel 3, verse 1 and 2. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, huh, this is happening, I will gather the all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, or the valley of Megiddo, or the valley of Armageddon. It's Armageddon that's all synonymous these names. And I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment against them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and also have divided up my land. Mentally underline that. Have divided up my land. The nations that divide up Israel will face the judgment of God. Today we hear about a two state nation. God's not pleased with that. It's dividing up his land. He doesn't like that. Western powers, including America and Britain and France and Germany, Europe and so forth, their ideal is if only you had a two-state solution. One for the Palestinians, one for the Israelis. And everybody would live happily ever after. No, they wouldn't. And I'll tell you for why. Because the Muslim Arab nations want all of Israel. The Palestinians want all of Israel, all of it. They don't want a part of it, they want all of it. 
They believe the Israelis has occupied all of their land. They want all of their land back again. They want Jerusalem to be their capital, not Israel. And that's why they can't get this two-state solution to work. And every time Israel has given in in any way to give some land, even Hamas has refused it because it's not enough. They want all of the pie, all of it. And this is what the politicians don't get. They don't understand the ideology behind this. Never mind the spiritual power behind this. They just don't get that. The Balfour Declaration in 1948, Britain drew up that allowed Israel to be a nation again, the UN sanctioned and so forth. At the last moment, Britain reneged on a promise. And they annexed a part, a big part of Israel and called it Transjordan. We call it the West Bank. They reneged at the last minute on that. And that has caused Israel major problems because it's narrowed their land. It's just a little corridor. You can see it on the map at the West Bank. And so nations over and over and over again has cheated and defrauded Israel of even their very land. The Arabs threatened an embargo of oil against America and all the other nations if you don't get out your diplomats out of Jerusalem and take them to Tel Aviv. Have your embassies in Tel Aviv, but not in Jerusalem because that's our capital. And because of the threat of an oil embargo, they caved in and they did it. Until President Trump came along and says, uh-uh, we're going back again. <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. The nations are up in arms. The UN is up in arms. But all our nations are now saying, well, we're going to join them. We're going to go back again too. Stuff is happening, folks. Prophecy is being fulfilled in our time. And so how the nations treat Israel is biblically wrong, but prophetically right. I'll say that again. How the nations are treating Israel is biblically wrong, but prophetically right. It's wrong how they're treating the nations, but it's prophetically right because God prophesied it would happen. And it's happened exactly as the Word of God has said. Here's how they should be treating Israel. Genesis 12, 1 and 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Israel is destined to bless the world. Destined to bless the world. And the world doesn't know that and can't see that. And Satan tries to blind them to that. And so God says... Bless Israel, not bless you. Curse Israel, not curse you. <coughs> so what's unique about Israel and the Jewish people? By the way, not all Jewish people live in Israel. Probably just over half live in Israel. Big contingent, 2% of America's population is Jewish. There's a big Jewish contingent in Ukraine where Clifford and I go. There's Messianic churches there. Our first translator was a Messianic Jew, Misha. Remember Misha? Whenever Clifford and I arrived the first time at the airport, 
welcome to reality. He said, I believe it was his first words, welcome to reality. And it was reality. Couldn't believe it. It's better now than it was then. So what's unique? What about the land? It's just a little strip of land. But for centuries, under Arab control and under Muslim control, it was a wasteland. A land of jackals, the Bible says. But then, it's deserts under Israel began to bloom like the rose, just as the prophet said it would. Hmm. It's strategically placed as a meeting place between three continents. It straddles the waterways of the Mediterranean and the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. If you flattened out a map and put your finger in the middle, guess where you would get? Israel. It's a special land. What about the people? Tiny, tiny little population. But it has disproportionate influence all around the world. And every field of endeavor you care to imagine, Jewish people has had an impact in everything. In the words of medicine, business, banking, music, arts, <coughs> physics, chemistry, inventions, everywhere. Let me just read out to you just some of the things. And these are under different headings. An informal list of Jewish inventions and innovations and radical ideas. By the way, before I read this out, you know what you should do sometime just for your own personal interest? You should Google Irish inventions. And you'd be amazed that how many inventions came from this little nation of Ireland all over the world. Stuff you know, well, you all know Massey Ferguson tractors and Dunlop tires, and all, but there's tons of stuff that you never even would think about in fields of medicine and science and everything came from this little land. And Israel's the same. All right, so this is under a different head. Re really practical inventions. Jeans. Levi Strauss jeans. <laughs> Lipstick. The ballpoint pen. Contraceptives. Instant coffee. Television remote control. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Seven, a man has a remote control in his hand. He doesn't want to know what's on TV. He wants to know what else is on TV. <laughs> Traffic lights. Now, there's a blessing, isn't it? Scotch guard. The flaxy straw. Thank God for the flaxy straw. <laughs> Do you know that was the Jew invented the flaxy straw? His little child was struggling with the straw, and he had a brainwave. He put a screw down it, and then he got a bit of thread, and he threaded the screw, and then he took the screw out, and lo and behold, it was a flaxy straw. Huh. Boy, well, you wish you had invented that, wouldn't you? You'd be a millionaire today. Really big inventions. The atomic bomb, the thermonuclear bomb, God. Well, they didn't invent God, but that's what it says here. <laughs> well... How do I explain that? They introduced God to the whole world, which they did, actually. Genetic engineering, the nuclear chain reactor, virtual reality, cultural contributions, Hollywood, the sitcom, the long-playing record, Gary. Finals are back. There you go. Sound movies, videotape, color television, instant photography, Polaroid. A hologram. 
game changers. Monotheism, the belief in one God. Psychoanalysis, Freud and all that. I personally don't believe that stuff, but that's where it came from. The theory of relativity, the weekend, Shabbat, <laughs> the Sabbath. Thank God for the Sabbath, isn't it? Good. Inventions beginning with the letter C. Capitalism, communism, circumcision, cheesecake, cafeterias. Never buy retail, it says. This is ahead. Never buy retail. Discount stores, pawn shops, the shopping cart, and all the women said, Amen. Well, one did anyway. And the ready to wear clothing industry. The I feel better already title. Prozac and Valium. <laughs> Ooh, whoever invented that must have been going through a rough time. The polio vaccine, radiation, chemotherapy, the artificial dialysis, artificial kidney dialysis machine, the defibrillator. Now, it was Professor Pantridge from here that got the portable defib, but it was the Jews who invented the defibrillator. The cardiac pacemaker, vaccination against the deadly hepatitis B virus, the vaccinating needle, laser technology, high-tech, Google, the wire transmission, the fax, the microphone, thank you, the gramophone, you wouldn't know what a gramophone was, you young ones, that was a precursor to your sunny whatever's. <laughs> can't think of the name. <laughs> Record players and all the rest of that paraphernalia. But anyway, uh, where are we here? Optical fiber cable, cellular technology, the video recorder, the VOIP technology, which is the voice over internet protocol. So every time you call somebody over the internet on Viber, because they brought out Viber, or Snapchat, or Instagram, or what's the other one? Say it out loud. Facebook, Messenger, all of those. What's the other one? WhatsApp, all of those. That VOIP came from the Jews. It's amazing, isn't it? How do we live without these heading? Drip irrigation. Do you know that they're the world's leader in salination plants? In other words, getting drinking water out of the sea. They're also the world's leaders and the inventors of the drip irrigation so that you can irrigate the land on a drip feed. They thought this up. A lot of this come out of the kibbutz system. Scale model electric trains, and all the men said, come on. <laughs> the pager, the walkie-talkie, refrigerated railroad car, high vacuum electric electron tubes, whatever they are, the incandescent lamp, Kodachrome film, the blimp, which is those big hot air balloons, the adding machine, stainless steel, tapered roller bearings, the torch. And that's just a, a few of the hundreds of things that they invented. What a fascinating people they are. I said earlier, the biggest startup high-tech companies in the world, that's where they are. God has a plan for Israel. It's prophetic. It's biblical. It's spiritual. 
There's so much replacement theology taught in churches today. That is that God has replaced Israel with the church. And Israel's gone. They're just another people. But that's not true. God made everlasting covenants with them. The land is an everlasting covenant. Several covenants he made. And he keeps his word. And in Romans chapter 11, Paul makes it clear, has God given up on his people? God forbid, he says. Of course not. God has a plan for them. And although she has come to extension, extinction, almost close to extension, several times, either through extermination or assimilation among the nations, and yet, in spite of all of that, that tiny little nation of people has come back again, and the worst spotlight is back on them, and will be so until Jesus comes again. And that's why the prophetic scriptures is so tied in to the history of the nation of Israel. And so it's wonderful tonight. Do I believe that everything the Israeli government does is right? Of course not. Do I believe that the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, that every time they go out to fight, that they always get it right? Of course not. They're human. Mistakes will be made. But under the fiercest persecution, under the fiercest opposition, under the fiercest attacks, they have held back again and again and again and again. Do you know that those tunnels that they make from the Gaza Strip, some are kilometers long, kilometers long, right into Israel, with the only intention of bombing schools and kids and people in the hospital anywhere where there's a Jew. That's the only intention. And the world is sending them billions of dollars for relief for the Palestinian people. And instead of relieving their own people with that, they're building tunnels, <coughs> sophisticated tunnels. But Israel has found a way to blast them. And they're blasting them continually to try to stop it. Because if they don't, then they pop up and then they shoot the rockets and kill the Jews <coughs> as many as they can, as many as they get to. And so it's a continual battle all the time. But thank God Israel is holding its own at this time. So don't believe all of the guff that you're going to get from the BBC. The BBC is the most biased against Israel. They really are. You know, so don't believe all of that stuff you're going to get. Yes, there are many, many, many Palestinians who are great people, good people, just want to raise their families, just want to get on with their job. But the Hamas rules them with a rod of iron. The guns rule in the Gaza Strip. And they're held there, and they're not being dealt with right by their own people. Instead of that, they're building these tunnels to kill Israelis. So there you go, Israel in the spotlight today. Keep your eye on it, because more stuff is going to happen in the near future, and we'll see what unfolds, and we'll compare Scripture. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.